kind of symbology. What is at stake? It is a big idea. A new world order where diverse nations are drawn together in common cause to achieve the universal aspirations of mankind. My question to you is, in any of your government jobs, have you ever been briefed on the subject of UFOs? And if you have, when was it? What were you told? Well, if I had been briefed on that, I'm sure it was probably classified and I couldn't talk about it. When I got out in 1989, we had cataloged 57 different species. We walked over to one side of the lab and he said, by the way, we've discovered a base. The very word secrecy is repugnant in a free and open society. And we are, as a people, inherently and historically opposed to secret societies, to secret oaths, and to secret proceedings. Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Skywatchers Radio. You can visit our talk radio show's chat room by going to www.psn-radio.com. The call-in number for questions or comments is 786-245-8127. We ask that anyone calling in, please keep questions and comments on the subject of tonight's show. And tonight we have a special guest, but before we get on that, I am your co-host, Brian McComas. And tonight we, are, we'll, we will take a journey into your own perception. Because what you think you knew, you may change by the end of the show. And what you did not believe in, you may just change. So gaze out into the open night sky with me. Open your mind and become a frequent listener and sky watcher by joining us every Wednesday night at 11 p.m. Eastern Time and 8 p.m. Pacific Time at www.psn-radio.com and become a fan of Skywatchers Radio. Our show tonight, and I'll go ahead and read the date off, it is October the 19th, 2011, and our show tonight is guaranteed to be a good one. We have Thomas Reed as a special guest tonight. Many of you all may have already heard of Thomas Reed. He's very famous for working with MUFON and being an alien abductee, and he's going to talk about that later on tonight. But for right now, we're going to pull in our other co-host, the man with the plan, Angel Espino. Are you there, Angel? How you doing? Hi, Brian. How you doing today, my friend? I'm doing good. I'm, I'm hanging out. It's a cold, cold night here in Ohio. Yes, I'm sure it is. And, of course, here in South Florida, it's rainy. Nothing but rain the last 48 hours. It's been incredible. It's like 40 days and 40 nights, all within the last 48 hours, pretty much. Wow. I'm excited about having Thomas Reed back on the show here. And I say back on because I just had him on not long ago on my show, The Jackal Said, uh, right here on PSN Radio. And, you know, we had such a good vibe that I really wanted to, t- to talk to this man again, so we booked him on here on Skywatchers. Can't wait to have him back on. Just an amazing story this man has uh, lived through. And, when you, you know, when we were talking off air, um, you know, we talked to him briefly and stuff, and you're going to find out, guys, that this man's story, not only is it intriguing, it's multi-generational. And what I mean by that is this has been going on for many, many generations in his family. He's not the only one who's been abducted. His entire family has gone through the, these kind of experiences. And like you said, Brian, he's been investigated by MUFON, and, and he's passed polygraph tests. I mean, this man has passed lie detector tests and everything. Uh, you know, that's not admissible in court, but damn it, if it doesn't prove that uh, the man is not lying, as far as I'm concerned. Yep, and I have been reading his story. Actually, there's uh, quite a lot on him, and uh, for everyone out there, yeah, his last name is R-E-E-D, Reed. 
And um, I'm sure there's probably even some YouTube videos. But, uh, yeah, check them out uh, later on even after the show. But we're we're hopefully going to get him to tell a lot of his stories, a lot of his history, uh, get into the abduction. Uh, I want to kind of cover the MUFON ground, too, because uh, this is Skywatchers. So uh, when we deal with, uh, you know, anything that's UFO, I'd like to hear the scientific stuff, the professionals, things like that working, mm-hmm. you know, alongside it. So uh, we'll get him to uh, – we'll get Mr. Reed to definitely talk about working alongside MUFON and with MUFON and uh, all that. So it's going to be a good show tonight. Yeah, and you know what? Just to address an email that I received after the show, I had him on, on Jackal's Head uh, from a, a fan of the show, Alex, who uh, sent me an email asking if this was the same Reed, Dr. Reed, uh, as Jonathan Reed, the guy who supposedly captured an alien, took him to his house, videotaped the whole thing. Different person. This is not Jonathan Reed. Thomas Reed is a different person altogether. Um, you know, I can't speak for Jonathan Reed's case, uh, even though his case has been debunked a little bit. Uh, but if you listen to Thomas Reed, I mean, there's a lot of honesty in this man's voice to the fact that we're going to even get into this a little bit tonight. He is not at all with a lot of the hoaxers that we have in ufology today. Uh, and I'm not going to mention too many names, because so I don't want to get uh, the show into any trouble here, but there's a lot of hoaxers, as we all know, in ufology. There's a lot of stuff that's been put on YouTube by people who are complete liars. Uh, this man is completely against all of that stuff, and this is one of the reasons why I was so intrigued in his story, because not only is it really honest-sounding, like the story just is a solid story, a solid case, but the man criticizes people who are clear hoaxers. And he visibly, I mean, when I spoke to this guy, I mean, he was upset about some of the hoaxing that he's seen in ufology because it really makes stories like his, in cases like his case, uh, laughable, you know, within the whole spectrum of ufology because you have to kind of, you know, have it there nested with all these other BS stories, um, like the Billy Myers case and all, and all that stuff, which is complete hoax. Uh, and, you know, and, and, and he is upset by that physically and visibly. Why? Because I think this man is really honest. I think he's telling the truth. I think he's really having an experience, whether he's been abducted by aliens or there's something else going on. I don't know yet, but there is definitely something happening to this man, just like there is definitely something that happened to Travis Walton. Travis Walton didn't just come up with that story himself. I, I mean, I have a hard time thinking that a 20-some, you know, 22-year-old logger from Arizona came up with that whole scenario by, you know, with a couple friends of his and fooled the entire world. I really have a hard, you know, hard time finding that to be true. I think Travis' story was unique and it was real. And you could tell by talking to the man that he's just an authentic person. He's just telling the truth. This is what happened to me. You know, Travis's story has never changed uh, over the years, and neither has Mr. Reed's story. So it's just an amazing yeah. story altogether. Yeah, and and real quick, you mentioned uh, Travis Walton. I wanted to say real quick, uh, MUFON is actually, there's several places on the Internet that MUFON has raided Thomas Reed's stories and his abduction cases and the evidence as a top three. And the, right. the, the number two one they're actually giving to Travis Walton, and the number one is Betty and Barney Hill's case. Of course, that's multiple cases and really long. Right. So, you know, I mean, when you're putting it up there with uh, Travis Walton and Betty and Barney Hill, man, I mean, you know, this guy's like, uh, you know, this, this, this is like a history class going back in time, you know, and, and being able to get like George Washington, Abraham Lincoln on, you know. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, it's funny because so, yeah. you mentioned Betty and Barney Hill's case, and I had uh, Kathleen Martin, the niece of Betty and Barney Hill, on Jackal's head not long ago, which brought my show into a complete full circle because the very first show I ever did on ufology on Jackal's head was about the Betty and Barney Hill case. And I had, you know, a guest on the show. We talked about that 
that case a little bit. So it was, you know, amazing to finally be able to get her on the show and talk to her about the case itself and about what she's doing. Uh, but the Betty and Barney Hill case, without a doubt, is the most uh, important case in ufology. I mean, there's no other case that has scientific data proved by NASA backing up the story. No other case in ufology has that. That yep. one does. That's the only yep. one in ufology that NASA came on and said, you know what? Everything they're saying is true because we just found it. And mind you, it was a decade later when they confirmed the star map that Betty Hill drew. A decade later, NASA looked for this star map for a decade until they finally found it and got a hit to where, you know, the star map was located and were in the sky and, and they confirmed it. They confirmed their case. So that, that being the number one case doesn't, doesn't surprise me. That is the number one case. Uh, in ufology for, for MUFON does not shock me at all. And yeah, Thomas Reed's case, Travis Walton's case, these are the two, three cases in ufology which has validity to them. It's just, uh, you know, ufology has very few cases like these, and this one is one of the most important ones. And I completely agree with him being number two or three or whatever on that list. Definitely. Oh, yeah. Now, oh, what, yeah. What, did and, the, what did the Roswell crash land in that list, by the way? I, oh, I don't know. I was looking at abductees rather than, uh, like cases, I guess. I think oh, okay, Roswell okay. would be like a case, maybe. Um, right, right, you're right. And, and MUFON has to go with, uh, you know, and, and MUFON wasn't even created back then, so. Right. Uh, you know, but, uh, MUFON did consider Betty and Barney Hill to be number one, Travis Walton to be two, and Thomas Reed's, uh, entire history and case and his family and all that, number three. And so that, you know, and MUFON is everywhere, man. That's, that's like a big thing. I mean, people, people may be like, yeah, that's third place. No, this is like, you know, this is like the, the, of all history with MUFON. And that's, that's something big now. Mm hmm. You know, and the thing about MUFON, and one thing that I criticize MUFON on, and I, I'll always criticize them on, and I, uh, I'll do it to the day they change their policy, uh, is the fact that they endorse a lot of hoaxing. They really do. Uh, so it's kind of tough. Uh, for them to come out and say that anything's authentic or anything's real or anything, you know, is more real than the other one, because they do support some hoaxers. I mean, uh, it yeah. just, it happens. Oh, yeah. You know, My- Michael Horn is it's endorsed by these people, and I think he's a complete hoaxer. I said it before. I said it to his face. And, uh, well, not physically to his face, but to his ear on a phone call. Well, uh, so, the, you know, yeah. So and, and MUFON has that is- going against them. Yeah, and well, one of the one of the reasons why they endorse, I think, is because uh, a couple of years back they made it easier for you to get a membership. So now right. anybody can get a membership, and if you've already, you know, if you're already, if you already have a groupies going on, uh, you know, and if you're if you're a hoaxer and you've got groupies that follow you, and then you tell them, you know, hey, get in there and get membership, then MUFON then has people who can say, hey, I support so and so. And I'm a MUFON member and, you know, right. it, and it is the truth, but, uh, I've been to some MUFON meetings and there are some people out there that still take it very serious. Although I, you know, I do criticize them to points because, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of like, um, the boy, it's, it's like what the Boy Scouts would be, um, except for they're just pretty much handing out the, uh, Eagle Scout, you know, right. it's like you don't earn it. You, you know what I mean? But uh, yeah, is, I've been. Yeah, that's two my. Mufons. Which is, that's my main problem. There's no earning of the Mufon title. You know, you, the, to be a Mufon member, you just pay a couple bucks, and you, you're pretty much an investigator. So anybody can become a, a member of Mufon and investigate. Uh, you know, back when Mufon was first created and they first started out, 
I believe MUFON was very reputable. I believe they were doing honest work, trying to find out the truth to a lot of these cases. Somewhere along the line, when money started getting more and more involved and more and more needed, I'm sure, uh, they just kind of lost their way a little bit. And I, that disappointed MUFON in, the, in a lot of ways the last five years, five to ten years, I would say. Uh, but other than that, I mean, what other, comp- what other organization do we have other than MUFON to investigate UFOs? Unfortunately, we don't have many. Yeah, well, no, I'm sure that we do have small little things, but MUFON would be the big one. And, uh, you know, uh, now I, I do, I do want to give a shit out, uh, a shout out to the Indiana MUFON chapter. Uh, I do know some of the people that are working with them right now. Um, a lady named Donnie Blessings and she keeps everybody legit as legit can be and goes through a lot of professional training and things like that. So, uh, there, there are chapters out there. That do take it very serious, but then there's, you know, there are chapters that it's just a bunch of guys and they say, hey, let's go out and investigate and they try to do their best, you know, and sometimes their best, uh, you know, if, if it's a major story and if their best is not that great, uh, you know, it, it's going to show up in what they pick up as evidence and right. detailed information, things like that. But, uh, I'm not, I'm not going to bash move on as a whole, especially when we've got their third top ranking abductee <laughs> on the show. But yeah, they're, MUFON doesn't need to change some things. Well, again, it's not bashing MUFON, the organization, so much for the belief system, because I believe in UFOs. I believe aliens are real. I believe they're, they've been here. Uh, and I believe somebody should investigate them. Uh, my gripes with MUFON is the way they've run their company the last few years, where they've opened up to anybody joining and anybody becoming an investigator and anybody who's a hoaxer getting supported by MUFON. And look, my thing is, if you have absolutely no evidence of anything, no proof whatsoever, uh, then, you know, you can't be promoted as being an authentic anything. You know what I mean? The great thing about the yeah. Travis Walton case is that he has mountains of evidence proving that something happened to him. At least something happened to this man. We know that for a fact. Thomas Reed has mountains of evidence proving that something happened to this man. Something happened. That's the point. You can prove that something happened. But then you have people like the Sheldon Nidos of the world who come up with these outlandish stories, have no proof, no validity whatsoever, whatsoever to them, uh, and they're promoted by MUFON because they can help them make a buck. That's where I have a problem with MUFON, and only there. And it kind of ends right there. Uh, again, I'm not against anybody in ufology making money off of whatever their case or their story might be. Travis Walton's made money off of his story and his case, but again, he at least has facts backing him up. You know, that's a big difference. Yep, yep. And, uh, you know, I can't wait to get him on the show here in a few. But, uh, again, guys, uh, you're listening in to Scott Watcher's radio, and uh, we, we're going to have Thomas Reed here on you know, on on the show here in a little while. And yep. uh, if anybody would like to call in, I'm going to go ahead and throw out the call-in number one more time. Uh, we do ask that you keep it to uh, one question or a comment and about the subject. The call-in number is 786-245-8127. And, uh, of course, if we don't get any callers tonight, that's great because uh, this should be a good – this should be a very good show. It's one of those shows where you just want to intently listen in. And uh, I am going to let Thomas lead – the majority of the uh, conversation, and he's going to be talking. But I do have uh, questions, comments, uh, things to throw around, and I, it, it should be a very good show as long as we don't lose connection with them or anything like that. Well, speaking so, from experience, uh, I can say that, yeah, it's going to be a good show. I mean, the, the, the man definitely is a good interviewee uh, for sure. Yeah, I'm psyched to have him, man. I really am. I, I can't say that. I mean, I, I can't say that about too many people, though. I mean, I, yeah. I really can't. Like, I mean, there's people out there. You're just like, 
oh yeah, that's a cool story, but then you get psyched about other people, and uh, right. this is definitely one of them. Yeah, I, I completely understand what you're saying. I mean, this is, like I said, this is one of those stories that um, I just had him on the show, and I wanted to have him back on immediately. I didn't want to wait four or five months because it was such an intriguing case, and it's an ongoing case. In fact, one of the questions I want to throw his way, which I didn't really get to throw his way last time, because the time, you know, two hours passed by real quick, and it just kind of flew by. Uh, so I didn't get to ask him everything I wanted to ask. But one thing I want to ask him is, in the last four or five months, maybe the last year, has he had any experiences, you know, coming uh you know coming forward now is there anything going on recently that we could you know kind of hear about has he been abducted lately in the last few years in the last few months in the last few days you know stuff like that um which is always intriguing because now since his story is multi-generation it's been going on for a long time you're going to figure that in some way he's almost almost used to at this point getting abducted it's become like second nature yeah yeah well um you know I, I, I'm going to watch what I say because there are abductees out there that, uh, that, that consider this, uh, you know, like kidnapping or like rape and you got to watch, you know, what words you use. So, uh, I, I do right. know that, uh, interviewing some, there, there are some that get really mad if you call them a contactee. Uh, right. and then there's contactees who get mad when you refer to them as an abductee. But, uh, yeah, let, let's definitely ask your question first. I'd like to, I'd like to hear if there is anything recently that's happened. Um, I mean, think about that, it. That uh, is good. Think about it. We we know about the history of his case. We know of all the stuff that he's gone through in the past. Uh, but anything recent? I mean, that'd be kind of intriguing. Say he says, "Oh, I was abducted," you know, five five days ago, and this and this and this happened. I haven't even put it out there yet. You know, something like that would be definitely intriguing to hear about. Uh, but either way, look, you know, the, the story itself. Uh, we're going to find out about the history of the case. We're going to find out about his family members uh, being involved with the abduction phenomenon. Uh, you know, any, any messages perhaps that the aliens gave to him, uh, when they abducted him? You know, he, now from our interview originally, he says that there was no real verbal communication between him and the aliens, but doesn't mean there wasn't any communication. As a lot of people know, a lot of the aliens are said to use, you know, tele, their telepathic, uh, ability to be able to communicate with you. So that's also something that we have to, you know, talk about. Are the telepathic beings that he hear them, when they were talking to him in his mind, but didn't see them physically talk, you know, stuff like that. I want to really find out. Yeah, man, that, that's a, you know, that's a really good point. Um, uh, we definitely, definitely want to have him in, in here talking about that. And, uh, uh, maybe, you know, a lot of abductees try to talk to the, uh, to their abductors, uh, and, you know, either yelling or screaming or saying, you know, asking questions, who, what, where, when, why, things like that. Uh, I, I definitely want to, Definitely want to get his take on that. You know, it's funny because even Betty Hill, uh, when they were abducted, Betty and Barney Hill, she, of course, mentioned that she tried to have a conversation with the aliens and they wouldn't talk to her until they started talking to her telepathically. So that's why I want to bring that up to see if it's kind of a pattern. Um, even Travis Walton said that they never spoke to him. And, you know, when he saw the the Aryan-looking aliens, um, they kind of, they, you know, they, they didn't speak to him, but he knew what they were kind of trying to tell him. You know what I mean? Yeah, 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 I know. Um, so I, I, don't I've know read the, I don't know if they were speaking the telepathically or not, but go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say in Travis Walton's book, um, there's a part where he, he, he says he thought that he was being rescued by other humans. And, uh, when he saw these, uh, blonde hair, blue eyed, human, humanoid looking, uh, you know, they look like humans, uh, 
In his book, right. he said he thought he was being rescued, and man, what a letdown. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, no, we're not here to rescue you. It was a letdown, but uh, at least he was uh, put back on Earth in one piece. So that's all that matters. Yeah, that's true. That is Imagine true. when he come back missing both arms or something. That would have been really sucked. You know, I would have sucked for him really badly. But uh, no, he, you know, Travis was set, you know, put back in one piece, and he's uh, alive and well. And uh, one thing I want to set up in the near future, maybe we'll do it here on Skywatchers, uh, is have Travis and Thomas Reed both on the show together and uh, interview them both because they're actually doing a, a lecture circuit now together. I don't know if you know about this, Brian, but um, they're going to be going around and uh, talking about their cases and stuff on different conventions and. And whatnot, and they're actually going to be doing the lecture tour together, which is kind of neat. Uh, they're also pretty good friends, from what I, I hear from Thomas. So that's also real neat. Uh, see, I didn't even know that. That's that's really neat. Yeah, it is. I, I do know, and and see, I I try to I try to follow the abductee cases where someone kind of gets hot headed and angry at other stories that are going around and then they say, oh, that's, you know, I'm sorry about that, that's my phone going off, uh, where they say things like, uh, you know, this didn't happen and that didn't happen and they're making my story uh, look like it was fake and this and that. If there right. is not any money involved, then I know that they feel like they've been shamed and to me, that's what I follow. And I, right. I, I, do, know, I do know of some abductee cases that are not well known in the light uh, and in the media and things like that, that I follow, and that's what these people do. It's it's kind of like if you get, uh, you know, if you get like mugged or something, and you know, and you're describing how it was mugged, and then someone else says, "Yeah, I got mugged," but it's not the same, and you can just tell there's something up. You know, you're going to get aggravated because the police are not looking for what you're st- saying, and you're like, "Hey, I was really mugged," and the other, you know, the other guy wasn't. So, right. That to right. me, that's always kind of an indicator. I know that sounds silly, but that's just you know how how it is. <laughs> No, you're you're on the money, man. I, I, I'm with you. Uh, a lot of times, the the most honest folks don't even care about the money. They're they're just doing it to get their story out there because this happened to them. This is an experience they had. Uh, money is not really an issue. Like Travis, for example, uh, a lot of people say, "Well, he wrote a book and he made a movie." Yeah, but he didn't get a lot a lot of money for the movie, and the book didn't exactly make him a millionaire. The guy, you know, worked in the same job for twenty plus years. He retired working in the same construction company that he worked for, the same same company that he worked for for twenty plus years. So he was still a hard working man, working his nine to five, just like everybody else. He's a retired gentleman now, um, you know. So this is not a guy who got you know rich off of his case. If anything, the, this whole case has been a detriment to his life. You know, his life has never been the same since this thing happened to him, uh, and in a negative way. I mean, Travis would be the first one to tell you that, you know what, I wish this never would have happened to me. I wish I didn't go through this because I look at what the result was. Ridicule. People, you know, trying to debunk you at any, every corner when there is no way to debunk you. But they're still trying, and they're still trying yeah. to mess with the guy. And, and it's ridiculous, but those are the cases that I have a lot more believe uh, believability to, uh, or they have more believability to. They're, you know, unlike some of the other cases where people say, "Well, I had a dream about being on Mars, and uh, in my dream, I was told this and that and this and that." I don't believe those cases. I have a hard time believing anybody who starts off with, "I had a dream that something happened to me." That's a, you know, that that's where I kind of draw the line. Well, yeah, I mean that's self-explanatory. You know, <laughs> I had a dream. <laughs> Unless you're Martin Luther King Jr., I don't want to hear it. You know, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Guys, we're about to take a commercial break here for a few minutes uh, and get Thomas Reed on the line with us. I'm so I'm so excited to have him on again here. It's, it's just going to be a, a fun two hours uh, with Thomas Reed. So, guys, if you do want to call in, uh, Brian gave, in the, gave you guys a call-in number before, but, uh, Brian, give it to him one more time. 
Okay, uh, the call-in number uh, tonight, again, keep it on the subject. Uh, comments and questions are more than welcome uh, for Thomas Reed or, you know, any comments or whatever. The number is 786-245-8127. And, again, we ask that anyone calling in, please keep questions and comments on the subject of tonight's show. There you go, guys. We're going to be right back right here on Skywatchers Radio with our guest, Mr. Thomas Reed. So please stick around for that. Are we alone? Information regarding this and many other questions about the unknown are only a click away at www.theufostore.com. Theufostore.com offers hundreds of DVDs about UFOs, aliens, crop circles, conspiracies, Bigfoot, suppressed science, ancient mysteries. Log on to www.theufostore.com and request a free UFO store catalog. Theufostore.com, the largest selection of UFO products on the Internet. Wow, look at him. I'd do him right now. Yeah, me too. If he weren't bald. You may not know it, but this happens to every man at least twice a day. If you're balding, you might as well kiss sex goodbye. Even if you're 16 and have a full head of hair, women can tell if you're going to go bald. And that spells trouble. Let's face it. Women hate bald men, except basketball players. What causes baldness? Don't take this the wrong way, but the explanation may be downstairs. It's bald, and it wants you to be too. Through a partially scientific study, doctors have determined that an abundance of testosterone causes baldness. And let's be honest, who needs testosterone? Now science brings you Castrodon. Castrodon goes to the glands that produce testosterone and kills them, protecting your hair and saving your sex life. Within a few days, you'll notice a big difference. You'll begin to look and feel different. If you're willing to do anything to stop the unspeakable from happening to you, take Castrodon. Remember, baldness is loneliness. May impair driving, timekeeping, map reading, and home improvement skills. Castrodon may also cause periodic moodiness, retail addiction, face painting, and menstruation. So disorders are common in the United States and internationally. An estimate 26.2% of Americans ages 18 and older suffer from some sort of mental illness. Now, this figure translates to 57.7 million people who suffer from some sort of mental breakdown. If you find yourself laying in bed on a Saturday or Sunday night hearing voices while you're trying to sleep, well, it might not be the demonic being 
from another dimension trying to kill you where you sleep. Might just be your mental illness starting to kick in. So if you're out of meds for the night, then I have just the thing. Come listen to my show, The Jackal's Head, on the Super Media Network. You can check out our Listen Live page only on www.psn-radio.com. See you there. This ad has been paid for by the Jackal's Head and the War on Terror. War. It's fantastic. Discount Comic Book Service, where you can save 40 to 75% off on new comics, collected editions, graphic novels, action figures, statues, and other one-of-a-kind items from DC, Marvel, Image, Dark Horse, Boom Studios, Top Cow, Dynamite, and many, many more. Go to www.dcbservice.com for easy ordering and fast delivery. Or you can visit our brick-and-mortar location at 10202-Z Coldwater Road in Fort Wayne, Indiana. DCBS, welcome home. Adventures in time and space, transcribed in future tense. The powwow. Countdown for blast off. X minus five, four, three, two, X minus one. Disorder never sounded so good. From the far horizons of the unknown come tales of new dimensions in time and space. These are stories of the future. Adventures in which you'll live in a million could be years on a thousand maybe worlds. Galaxy Science Fiction Magazine presents... The Pow Wow. Weekends at 12. Only on SoFloRadio.com. Everybody, this is Boca Brian once again to tell you about my latest CD of religious comedy bits. Word of Boca. All my smash hits made famous throughout the world. For the, well, not exactly the world. Let's see. Parts of Okeechobee down to Narcea Paladin. Well, like I was saying, the most requested religious comedy bits ever to be heard all over your radio for too short a time. You'll get such hits as... All-time Boca Classic. They were speaking in tongues. Yes, it's Word of Boca. About 30 all-time certified aluminum religious hits by Boca Brian, who sits on the middle finger of God while singing about men of the moist cloth. That's Word of Boca. Available now at all Peaches, Records, and... Uh, I mean, at Order Yours Today by clicking on the album cover on SoGlowRadio.com. Looking for a used car? Well, look no further. Florida Fine Cars has the car just for you. Here at Florida Fine Cars, we pride ourselves in customer service and quality of cars. Looking for a high-end car? We got them. Looking for an older car for a small cash deal? We got them. Due to having over 400 cars in our inventory, no matter what your situation, we can help. For more information, please go to www.floridafinecars.com today. The Nicole Sandler Show, weekday mornings at 10 on the South Florida Radio Network. TalkStream Live introduces our first ever iPhone application, Mobile Talk Radio. Imagine having the freedom to take live talk radio with you anywhere you go. You'll be surprised how easy it is to use. So I think what's going on here is that Obama is banking on unemployment falling. Listen to live talk shows 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Talk Stream Live. Now available in the iTunes App Store. Here's a riddle for you. 
What do the California Gold Rush of the 1850s, secret societies, coded messages, mysterious 19th century flying machines, and an early 20th century outside artist named Charles A.A. A. Delshaw all have in common? The Secrets of Delshaw by Dennis Crenshaw and Pete Navarro. Go to www.secretsofdelshaw.com to learn more. Put a team of professional consultants behind your home or business computer with Key Information Solutions. Providing solutions to your Internet and computing needs while keeping you on the cutting edge of technology. Preventative maintenance and networking support. Hardware and custom-built computers. Let Key Information Solutions be your personal tech staff for your home or office with affordable hourly, monthly, or annual rates to fit anyone's budget. Call Key Information Solutions now. 954 That's 954-973-3374. Or visit keyinformation.com. Hey, it's Gina Martell with my fabulous co-host, Dr. Dennis Netter. Are you a sexual predator? Could you be? Find out how easy it is to be labeled one. Join us August 2nd for Love and Sex on SoFloRadio.com. Love and sex. Better love, better sex, and better life. I'm hungry for something different. Zebra Bar. Get the fever. It's the candy bar that's fun to try. It's half smooth white milk chocolate. And the other half is deep dark chocolate. Wow, it's enormous. How about cream filling? That too. Put it in your mouth. Yes. For whichever side you crave, pick up a zebra bar and let the chocolate melt in your mouth. The internet is not a brochure rack. You can't create a website like you'd create a brochure. Print it once, never update it. You've got to treat your website content like a business asset. But face it, you don't have time to focus on your web content. Turn it over to Ion Leap. We're an internet marketing agency who helps companies get found by search engines using robust content. Bring your website content to life. Learn more at ionleap.com. Hi, everybody. This is Boca Brian once again to tell you about my latest CD of religious comedy bits. Word of Boca. All my smash hits made famous throughout the world. For the, well, not exactly the world. Let's see. Parts of Okeechobee down to Well, like I was saying, the most requested religious comedy bits ever to be heard all over your radio for too short a time. You'll get such hits as... And you'll get Father And this all-time Boca classic. They were speaking in tongues. Yes, it's Word of Boca, about 30 all-time certified aluminum religious hits by Boca Brian, who sits on the middle finger of God while singing about men of the moist cloth. That's Word of Boca, available now at all Peaches, Records, and, uh, I mean, order yours today by clicking on the album cover on SoBlowRadio.com. Tell me of all your misdeeds 
Welcome back. We're listening in on Skywatchers Radio, and this is October 19th, 2011. We have our special guest uh, on the line, Mr. Thomas Reed. Are you there, Thomas? Yes, sir. Thank you for having me. All right. Yeah, no problem. No problem. So uh, I was telling the audience earlier, and of course, we also have our co-host, Angel, on the on the uh, line, too. Angel, say hello. Hello. Of course, I'm here. <laughs> uh but for the listeners, I was uh, explaining to the listeners that uh, a little bit about your story about the abduction, uh, about the uh, the case with your family having multiple abductions or family abductions going, uh, I guess, through the generations. And uh, we were discussing a little bit about uh, how MUFON actually uh, held your your history and your case very highly. And uh, so. Um, Mr. Reed, if you don't mind, uh, we had one question for you. I'm going to throw it out at you, and uh, it's the first question of the night, and that is, have you recently been abducted? And if not, when is the last time you've been abducted? The last time my brother and I had uh, an experience was in 2009. It was uh, March 30th, and it just happened to be the case that that fueled uh, the uh, star team and the officers and the cold case detectives and the aerospace groups move on and and uh, those that were backed by Bass Aerospace to investigate the that March uh, 30th 2009 abduction that uh, took place actually in Indiana and it's been you know quiet that's only the that's really the only thing that's happened to us since the 60s and that's something I think is important I'm glad you brought it up because you read if you read the articles of the case you, you see so much well you know 50 years of this and it's really only been five events that surrounded twelve people. So it's okay, um, but it's still ongoing, and it, it's it actually started in 1954. Okay, well, yeah, and that that was the, like I said, the first uh, question of the night, and we wanted to go ahead and just throw it out there. Uh, we didn't want to forget it, uh, and uh, like I was saying to everyone, uh, your abduction cases are considered very high. Uh, among all the abduction cases that MUFON has, uh, I guess in a huge library of uh, abduction cases and so on. Um, and matter of fact, uh, I was telling uh, my co-host Angel that on several sites, your cases are ranked as number three, top number three, on the abductee and abduction list. Uh, now, uh, of course, they have uh, famous UFO sightings, uh, famous... Uh, encounters and uh, so on and so forth but within abductee and abduction cases you're actually ranked number three and betty and barney hill were number one and travis walton was number two and i found that very very fascinating because angel was saying that you actually uh are kind of communicating with travis walton is that true yeah travis and i have a lot of similarities in our case and we're working on a couple of uh 
joint uh, conferences. We had one uh, about two years ago in Nashville, and it went very well. We um, have a couple of, actually, uh, Discovery Channel and, and Spike are both talking to us about doing something uh, on, on a, a mini-series, if you will, and um, we're going to be talking um, in Memphis um, uh, February 11th, actually, together. It's, an, it's just going to be Travis and I, and it's going to be an event uh, held just for the two of us to compare notes and and go through our histories and discuss these little things that we thought were so insignificant at the time that, you know, after going to, you know, Bennigan's or up to Red Lobster or something, you, you talk more and more and you start mentioning little things. And, you know, I've never mentioned that to you before. How would you have known that and vice versa? So, you know, we do have a lot of similarities and um, we're basically just, uh, for lack of a better word, you know, um, just, just tapping into that now. It's... Um, we're early in the stages of comparing these things, but um, it's amazing how many things that, um, well, just to give you a quick overview, you know, we both passed polygraph tests. We both had radiation associated with our case. We both had magnetic fields associated with our case. There were little black rocks that were uh, placed on my body with a milky white pad. He had a what he referred to as a black sphere placed on a, it was on a pad on his face, and the areas that we were in, you know, these holding areas, we, we they resemble each other. The, the little smaller rooms we went into, um, you know, it, one of the things that came up was we were both in this large holding area, and we had left there, were, were taken or escorted. We're kind of corralled. That's another thing, you know. You're kind of corralled and you're taken by a bunch or one or two, but they're, all, they're basically at least one on your left side, and they take you down a hallway and they take you into this room. And um, the rooms themselves were almost identical from where we left this large area. And um, what happened was very similar in those particular rooms. So um, there was something else. We um, we were shown um, a large display that um, wrapped around 3 o'clock to 9 o'clock, which, which had images, uh, whether it was a willow tree for me or something else that, that happened with him. And we only saw that in the smaller craft. So these were just kind of a, give you an idea of what, what we've been talking about. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, we actually have another question here, and it is uh, in regards uh, – I'm not trying I'm, – I'm really not trying to jump around so much. It's just we do have another question here. Uh, it's okay. about your – <laughs> huh. Well, it's it's about your, your brother and uh, – they're, I guess they're asking, uh, when is the first time that you and your brother, uh, that you can remember were ever abducted the same time? Is the question. Okay. My brother and I have always been taken at the same time. Okay. So just so you know. Um, actually, there was once I was taken first and he followed, but, um, in 1966, we were on a, uh, my horse farm. My parents had a 75-acre horse farm. We used to raise quarter horses. And uh, we were, uh, I'm going to skip the earlier part and just get right to it. Um, we found ourselves uh, at the corner of our, our property. At, um, they, were, they were, just to give you an idea, I'm sorry. We had fields that were um, maybe uh, 10 acres of pop. And there were a lot, a lot of trees and shrubs and brush that broke these little square, you know, uh, sections of, of of corrals and fences and that sort of thing. So we were at the closest one to our house, and it was maybe uh, 300 yards away from our home. 
and there was a path that went into the woods, which used to actually be the Appalachian Trail. We, uh, my brother and I were, uh, this is the very first time, it was uh, probably around 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock in the morning. I was first in line, if you if you can, I guess, put it that way, and had several beans behind me, and my brother was last, believe it or not. And um, we broke through this line of trees, and um, we took a maybe, um, I don't know, five or six steps or whatever, and there was this huge uh, rock or boulder to our right. And we had never been up there before. We weren't allowed to ride up there. It was too far from the house at the time. I was only uh, like six and a half years old, and my brother was like four. We were very young. And um, you feel like you're walking, but it's, I don't know if you're really touching the ground or not, but it feels that way. I mean, we are actually moving our legs. And everything was kind of a... There was a calm, there was an empty still, is the way we word it. Um, it's almost, you feel like there's a complete silence, like there's a barometric change in pressure or something. It's just a calming state that you feel, and I don't know where that really comes from. But, you know, you would think that we'd be running back to the house, we'd be, pet, you know, petrified or what have you, but we're not. We're just, for whatever reason, cooperating. And when we passed this rock, there was a large tree that formed a wishbone like you'd find out of a turkey. You know, it was just a split kind of eye. And through that wishbone tree, you could see what looked like a huge uh, mound of dirt, really. And I passed it and took a few more steps and um, turned to the right, and there was this just massive... Um, it, it looked like a black turtle shell, basically. Huge black turtle shell kind of thing. And... Um, it was down a little bit. There was a step that you would have had to take to get down to the level part where that was, but this was a little bit of a, a, a ridge. And so I stopped. I didn't know what to do anymore. Um, and there was a figure standing outside of it. And if you line up where I came onto this thing, it would be pretty much what I would refer to as the middle. Like if you had a ruler, I came in on at the 6-inch mark, and this figure was maybe over at the 10-inch mark. And um, I looked around, and my brother was still there and this, these individuals were still there, but they were further back. And I, for some reason, knew to, to go forward. I don't, again, I can't answer everything, but, I, but there was this, you know, this calm feeling that the closer I got, the more I felt I was supposed to be there. And um, the best way to describe this, really, is um, I guess, you know, if you're in a situation, you're surrounded by people and you get a bad feeling from someone and... and um, you know, this person you feel really comfortable with, you just know right off the bat, you know, I'm going to avoid him tonight. And um, it's something like that. But it's also you have a peace along with it. And so I, I just went forward. I, I, I started to walking towards this, um, this craft and walked right up to this individual. And, um, and I, I kind of, like, stared for a minute, I guess. I stood there and kind of on awe and... Um, I had looked around again, and everyone behind me was at that point was gone. And it was only moments earlier that they were there. So um, it was just he and I, and he was taller. It was a taller. It was, I guess, if you're going to put them into a category, it was a, a, a kind of a, a gray. It wasn't like what they really draw. Or you, you see, it wasn't really that uh, cute, if you will. I mean, it didn't, uh, it wasn't, uh, you know, uh, pleasant to look at. And, um, but anyway, it, um, 
kind of raised its arm a little bit, its right arm, and had like a, a, a was kind of lost in it. And uh, the next thing I know, I was in this inside the craft, which was uh, the entrance area. I guess what would have been like a loading dock or something, because it was fairly squared off. The uh, pad on the floor, whatever was on the floor, was very uh, was soft walk on the sides, and everything kind of uh, illuminated as if it put up its own light. And um, looking straight ahead, I'm going to say I had about um, maybe 15 or 20 feet in front of me, and there was a hall off to the right. And um, I didn't see anyone at the time, except for this individual to my left again, and they're always to my left. And I, at that point, was, again, to follow in some way this individual who starts, you know, kind of looks at you. I felt like they were underwater. They moved kind of slowly and... And I don't know if that was me, if it was my way I was thinking or what happened to me, but everything seemed very slow. And hmm. I started to follow this individual, and I took a took a right around this hallway, which, if you look at it from the, the top, it would have formed almost a, uh, like a question mark. And I believe that outer lip kind of followed the contour of this, this disc I was in. So I came up from that bottom of the the question mark, took that right, actually now walked right by my brother that was just standing there, very uh, placid. I don't even think he, I don't remember him uh, seeing me or or making a reference or anything. And um, it took me right past him. I walked down this hallway, which was about 20 feet or so. And when I got to the front part of this, it looks like donut. If you were to cut this donut into thirds, that was now at the very top you know, third of this donut. And this hallway stopped right as it went into this darker area, like a darker metallic area that was almost black to me. It was very, I don't know how they could see in there. And um, I stepped inside maybe two steps. I don't think it was more than that. And at that point, the individual who took me there had left, and now I was kind of handed off, if you will, to this particular person or figure. And this one was, again, one of the, the taller types, not the ones that took us from the home, which were shorter, but these were kind of a taller, thinner. And they did look like they were wearing some type of a headgear, like something that pulled over their heads. The, um, I've mentioned many times that these lenses look like it's just a, I believe it's a lens to help them adjust for light. So uh, maybe these lenses also tell them body pressure or body temperature or um, night vision. I don't know, but I don't. Um, we. I do believe that there's a biological eye under there. There was a couple of times at one point I saw like a yellowish orange tint underneath it. So I've talked to Travis about that too. He kind of believes there are lens as well. But I just wanted to mention that so since we were on the. Yeah, that's very interesting. Well, you're you're not the only one that's uh, that said that. That's for sure. <laughs> oh really? Because I've been saying that for years. No. Yeah. I've I've oh, actually well. heard. Uh, uh, not to interrupt you or anything, but uh, I, I've heard that uh, there is several cases, kind of like yours, where someone has claimed to, I guess, grab at one of the graves and actually knock the eye out, and that there was an eye underneath it. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I mean that's 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 not a that's not that unusual that I've heard of. But uh, then there's other people out there that say that it is their eye. Or, you know, so on. But I, I want to ask you real quick. Did you get the feeling that the greys were a biological creature or were they robotic? Absolutely biological. Okay. No All question. right. 
All right, so go go ahead with your Absolutely. go ahead go ahead with the uh, yeah. Okay. Um, so we, or I should say, I um, was still looking for my my brother. Um, I think one of the reasons I I did that. And I don't want to take too much time on this, but th- there's a reason I'm, I'm I'm spending time on the looking at my brother thing because he he was there. He was in the hallway. He wasn't allowed to come up too much further, although he could see down the hallway. Um, he wasn't allowed where I was. However, he was there, and I think there was a comfort with me knowing that I wasn't alone, and I think that was important for this particular incident because the second time he wasn't there, and I felt much different. But, again, when I stood in this doorway, just inside the doorway, um, I did. Uh, I can describe the craft for the front very well for you. Um, I have a sketch artist working on it right now and a CGI 3D specialist putting together an entire uh, little clip for me. If you, um, to, to give you a really good idea, there were two tables, one at about 3 o'clock and one at about 9 o'clock, that to me at the time, I was young, but they, they looked almost identical to me. I'm sure they did different things. You could see underneath it. Um, it almost looked like it was like an L bracket, like it was supported from the far right side, went up and came in to the left, and then the one on the left side was supported on the left side, came up to the right, because I, I didn't see anything holding it up, but I had to have a bracket on the back end or something. So I could see under it. They were not that high. Now, I'm 10 years old, so I wasn't more than maybe, I don't know, four and a half feet, and I could see the top of it, so it had to be very low and I was standing back a ways. What looked on the top of this thing, almost when I go to the bank and I see the braille, it was very somewhat similar to that. It looked, some of this, the figures that I saw or images I saw looked like an F maybe, like a sloppy F with one dot on the bottom right corner. There were others that almost looked like um, part of a railroad track but done, you know, not quite done well. There was like a C with like a dash in the middle of it, another C maybe in the opposite direction with a dot in it, those kind of figures. And they were laid all across the top of this this table. And they looked like they were bronze or brown. It could have been the light, but I did recall a lot of bronze associated with this. And um, so anyway, I um, I wasn't really sure what I was doing there. The individual or figure that was to my left was communicating in some way with this figure that was in front of me, which would be at the 3 o'clock mark. And um, the next thing I know, they, they, they threw up a uh, quite of a, a, an image. It was uh, it wrapped, again, this top third part of this donut or plate, if you will, was just all lit up the walls, everything. It was just, just like, a, like being outside. And um, what was shown to me was uh, pictures of, of stars and maybe a galaxy. I don't know. Um, but the image that I saw the brightest and the, and the stars, if you will, that had uh, my attention formed what looked like a sneaker or a boot that was kicking off to the left. It looked like it had uh, like four stars coming down where the high top sneaker would have been, and then it went off to the left. I've never found anything online that resembles what I saw, but that was the pattern they showed. And I don't think it was up there for more than maybe four or five seconds, is what it seemed like to me. And then this image changed. And this is the one that's been embedded in in my mind ever since. It was um, an image of a a willow tree, a massive willow tree. And um, 
you know, the green with the gold light coming through it from uh, the sun. It was sitting on the left side of an embankment with water. And um, I actually drew what I sketched it out not that much longer. And actually, it's, it hangs in the Roswell UFO Museum today. But um, it was just basically water to the right, a little, a little cove, willow tree. And I think what, what really got to me was I don't know if I was supposed to be uh, fixated, if you will, on the willow tree. Maybe it was something else in the picture, but we had a black and white TV back then. So seeing this big willow tree moving and the light coming through and is what, I, what had my attention. And it certainly took my attention off my brother. So at that point, um, that was really it. And I, I consider that particular event or that day as like an indoctrination for us. Maybe something happened we don't remember. Um, I remember going. I remember that part of it. There could have been, um, you know, a half hour, 45 minutes. I don't remember. But that is what I really remember from the very first time. It wasn't anything crazy. It was more or less like an introduction. And um, and my brother and I, um, you know, we next day we went to school and we talked about it. And um, I had taken my my horse and rode up there. And um, it wasn't the next day, but it was a day or so afterwards. And I saw that rock. And I went uh, by that wishbone tree. I had to duck under a mane because it was very low at that point. And um, lifted my head up, came through, and there was a field, and there was an indentation, and there was where it was. So we kind of validated to ourselves, um, as crazy as it was back then, you know, we found it immediately. And later on, in the winter times, you know, we took our snowmobiles by it and everything and, and actually showed some friends that lived on the street, you know. Of course, they didn't believe a word of it, but but we shared it with them anyway. So that was that was 66. That was our very first encounter for my brother and I. Yeah, yeah, man, that's that's a really, really crazy experience. Um, I, I do want to go ahead and throw it out there uh, that uh, uh, to the to the listeners that Thomas Reed and his brother have always remembered the experiences afterwards. Am, am I correct in stating that? Absolutely, we we never okay. needed uh, any regression or anything. Although okay. my brother was talking about it. Yeah, well, I mean, I guess it couldn't hurt. But the reason I ask that is because we had we had so many questions going on in the chat room. Uh, I think most of them will get to naturally through listening to you uh, to, uh, tell well, about your experiences. Now. I'm, I'm good. Oh, okay. Well, uh, let me... well, uh, one of the questions was they. Yeah, they. Uh, one of the questions uh, was what kind of species of aliens were they? Uh, grays, reptilians, Nordic, uh, can you describe them? And, uh, you were getting on that anyways. I, I know that, uh, I was reading about where you had seen and had experiences with some reptilians, uh, at least in one of the web pages I was reading about you. And of course you talked about two different types of grays. Uh, is there any other kind of, uh, creatures that you have seen other than, I guess, those three, if you want to call them three? Yeah, they, I, I, and I need to correct that too, and this is kind of why I, um, I I don't like throwing it, you know, having interviews that I can't uh, look at afterwards. I don't believe we've ever seen what is typically referred to, or you know, we don't really subscribe to terminology to begin with. But mm-hmm. As far as what a reptilian looks like, no, we didn't see anything that looked like a reptilian. What we saw was this, um, and this was in '69, and my brother saw one in '67. 
But that also answers questions, too, like whether John's only on the larger crafts or whether he's on the smaller ones. This is what it looked like. And that's on my web page, actually. I'm having a sketch artist work on it right now, so it's not finished. But if you go there, okay. it's on there. It's tomread.info. Tomread.info, if you want to take a little quick look at it. It had an egg-shaped head, and it was tipped downward. Not so like holding them excited with it. It was tipped down the fatter part of top. It had almost a teardrop-looking body. It was very um, like a pale, gray-looking thing, except that the head had almost a, a goldish-orange to it, almost like you could see through part of it, almost like that of a fire ant. And it had very stick-like legs. Um, I don't really remember the feet. So we're, we're kind of putting the feet in the best we, we, we think it looked like. But it did um, did have working hands and fingers. Um, not quite like ours, but it did have that um, ability. And, uh, and it did have that human-like movement and, and way about it. It was very weird. And um, the arms and legs kind of bent in the middle. And I've never seen anything else online that resembles it. Um, Nothing even comes close, really. But if you were to put that into a category, I would have to say that it was more of a like hybrid insect. Now, my brother thought it was only four to five feet tall. When I saw it, I thought it was six to seven feet tall. So there are some differences, and that's healthy. But at the same time, its legs were very long. And we've discussed, you know, when you saw it, it could have been kind of squatting more. When I saw it, it could have been raised up more. And um, But that's very, very close to what you know, the best way I can describe it. He does remember a little more contour to the face, maybe, and, and a little more shading, where it looked more, um, had more of a, um, like a jawline or type of thing. The bottom jaw of this egg, I guess, did come out a little bit further than it would just wound off in the front. The bottom part kind of hung over a little bit. We both agree on that. We both got the eyes down pretty much, so we have this sketch artist about to finish it. And um, we'll have it probably another two weeks, and it will be on my website. But it was very odd looking. Aside from Tommy, that, we did see. Um, you did say yeah. that, that it looks very insect like. Um, I think I, I might have brought this up on the show we did before. Uh, it kind of resembles a praying mantis uh, from the description, but a, a much obviously larger praying mantis. But would I be correct in saying that it has like that praying mantis type look, which I have heard before, by the way, of other people who've been abducted. Uh, claimed that they saw creatures that looked like praying mantises or but giant praying mantises. So would that be kind of a fair resembly or resemblance? Yeah, that's if you were uh, of anything we could uh, use as a reference, I would have to say that's probably the closest. Except that the praying mantis has um, ha- has like um, more of a uh, something coming coming off its legs. I mean, these legs look like right. straws. If you you know you know. And it didn't have all this, uh, you know, extra um, flaps type on it, and it wasn't green. It was like a, almost like a milky, like a sick-looking milky white. It was pretty gross oh, wow. looking. Yeah. And it had like um, different colors running through its, um, through its legs and arms. Not like veins, but um, coloration, different colorations running through it. And I, when I saw it, I thought it was wearing some type of a of the outfit or something because it had these, it was so soft and smooth looking, had these weird colors in it. It almost looked like it was wearing some type of a coverall like, like these other beans were. But, um, 
the more my brother and I talk about it, the more we think that was just its its natural state. If that makes sense. Makes yeah, that actually doesn't make sense. And, and was the air difficult to breathe when you were around these creatures? You said the air was very was it thick? In the uh, the holding area that we were in in '69, um, that was very um, I have to say that was humid and warm. But once we entered these hallways, it was very cool. And um, if I remember right, it was very uh, the air was crisp. It was. Um, and, and the hallways too, they, they weren't like a typical hallway. The the height and the distance across left to right uh, was basically a square and um and with the rounded edges, but it was more square. It was, it was actually these tube hallways were very small actually. I don't think you could, you couldn't walk uh, three people side by side down them. You know, you're lucky to get two. And then they would go out to a uh, they would tee off and um and the one that we went to left went out to what was almost the intersecting hallway that was about the size of a, an empty basketball court with three intersecting hallways which formed like a Y. And these these hallways were huge. So it's almost like these little hallways were meant for um, very light traffic for certain things and these other massive hallways might have been where, um, you know, people were moving things or what have you. I mean, it was just, uh, it was, these hallways weren't slightly bigger than the other. They were like 10 times bigger than the other. Did you see any symbols on the all, walls or anything like that? Like any symbols that you could kind of recognize as being maybe a sign for something? The only the only thing that I saw and were almost like gray, gray-like quarter-moon swirls that were on when these three large hallways joined into this, uh, almost like a, like I'm going to go back to the basketball court, like without the bleachers, okay? When these, when the, the wall that I came out of, there was a hallway like off to my right, straight ahead, and off to my right, but going back, backwards. Those those two hallways right there kind of almost joined. There's a very little bit of wall between those two. The one that, the bottom part of that Y, where this all kind of went to this Y, had gray swirls along the the bottom floor, kind of like almost a direct traffic around that wall. Like if you were coming, you saw the swirl, I guess. It was just kind of weird the way they, it almost, the swirls kind of went to show you where to walk, maybe. They were that kind of faint, but they went around the walls just so maybe you would stay away from the wall. Uh, not hit the wall. I don't know, but there were definitely markings on the floor that were gray, and the floor was white and it was soft. So hmm. was it like a marble floor? It was was it like a carpeting type of type of floor, something like that, soft? No, or it was rubberized, oh, soft. No, you know, it was almost like a rubber rubbery feel to it. Rubbery feel. Okay. Yeah, the best thing is I can comp. Yeah, I, I used to get some of these uh, rubbery things to twist off a bottle cap. You know, that was too too. Didn't, yeah, if you twist it up, you know, so you don't cut yourself and get the top off, and they're a little disc-like piece of uh, soft rubbery stuff. It was mm, probably yeah, similar to that. It, it, you know, if you were to step on it, that's kind of what it would feel like. Yeah, the closest thing that I can come to, and then the walls, you know. 
my son asked me once if it, it resembled that of maybe a glow stick, and that's kind of what I thought the walls were like, like they generated their own light. Uh, again, Travis thinks the light came from the, the top and kind of reflected off the walls, and um, I think I thought the walls kind of illuminated themselves. But either way, it was very bright. And someone else had said to me, too, um, I don't want to get off track here, but we were talking about the lenses earlier, that, um, you know, they must come from a dark place. So when they come to come here, you know, they they need these lenses, you know, to protect their eyes. But if that's the case, then why are the hallways so bright, right? It wouldn't make sense. That makes so no sense, I think yeah. the lenses do more than that. Yeah, I think the lenses do more than that. I think they can pick up... Uh, you know, body temperature, maybe it'll help them gauge how far something is away. Maybe they can, you know, adjust that for whatever light conditions because they do go from very light areas to very dark areas. Right. So I imagine it self-adjusts and helps them see better. But um, I do feel that they need that. I don't think they're wearing it because they want to. But there's got to be a reason for it. Now, of course, Travis saw two different kind of beings uh, you're, you're saying you saw this type of being, but there is a possibility that, you know, all these beings are working together. I mean, there's a lot of different looking humans on planet Earth, so I'm sure there's a lot of different aliens, you know, flying around in space. So there's a good chance that these are definitely at least in the same league with the aliens that abducted Travis from, you know, from just listening to, to the case here. Do you really think that uh, you yeah, guys had a, a same experience with the same abduct, abductors, basically? I think that we had this a very similar larger craft that housed the same beings. The the smaller craft, if I'm not mistaken, um, he references more of a Nordic looking and right. and um, and what we saw that really kind of, if you will, um, uh, showed up at our house or what have you to bring us there. They were more shorter. They didn't, um, didn't, uh, we don't remember them having these big lenses. Um, although they were, did look, they were, did tend to have like a glow to them. When we first saw them, we thought, you know, maybe these were ghosts or something. That's the way it came off to us. I don't know where that illumination came from. But, um, maybe they needed the light. Maybe that protected them in some way. But when we got out, um, to the, the, uh, field where the trees were along the, the corner of a property line, that ceased, and um, they just basically look like, um, you know, somewhat maybe human, but still not human, and um, and small and pudgy, a little bit pudgy, and um, and that was it. I mean, we uh, and then after we got to the craft, and I was on board, and I don't know how my brother got on there first, but when I came in, he was already there. I didn't see them anymore after that. And and 66 was not what we saw on this, um, these uh, insects. I guess we can refer to them as insects. We saw them, my brother saw them in 67, and I saw them in 69. So what he saw in 67 and I saw in 69 were slightly referenced differently, but 90% of it was very, very much the same. So I'm pretty sure, and why I'm telling you that is because in 69 the craft was huge. In 67 it was a smaller one. So that would tell me that yeah, they are, they do have they are on the smaller crafts and they are on the larger crafts, but that doesn't mean the smaller one doesn't just dock in the larger one anyway. I don't, I, I'm right. just making an assumption, but yeah, maybe they're all a bigger part of a, of a bigger federation of space pl- you know planets that are 
buzzing around in space. Uh, Brian, uh, you have a, a chat question, I believe? Yeah, yeah. Mr. Reed, uh, we've got a question here, and it's concerning the races. And uh, before I get into that question, I do want to apologize about bringing up the reptile comment. Uh, I actually pulled that up on a website called unexplained-mysteries.com. And uh, it tells your story, and it does indeed say that there was a reptile running around in the room with you. Uh, so uh, oh, no, I've, I will, seen, I've seen the article myself. Okay. I've seen it myself out there. Okay. Yeah. So I okay. Well, I, yeah, I, I do apologize. I do apologize for that. Um, I, I, oh, you no, know, no. That, no need. <laughs> and and it is it is very good that you uh, stick to uh, trying to describe what you have seen, and then uh, you push away what you've not experienced. Uh, that that's very good of you, and uh, I do. I do uh, highly uh, congratulate you on that. But I do have a question here about the races. Uh, the question is, Did you have you ever noticed any different type of clothing on them that would suggest rank or uh, I guess if, you know, they had different jobs? And c- can you discern each of them individually? In other words, if five or six of them are running around, could you somehow discern that one was the one that brought you in and the other one was so-and-so, you know, by either looks or clothing? Okay. That's the question. Yeah, it's a good question um, and probably something I would want to ask. Um, okay, I'm going to say yes to most of it. In 69, and this is, again, I'm jumping back to 69 because 69 was a really quite a horrific experience. It was the only time that I really felt in danger, and I ran, and that kind of thing. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But even though the, and again, I'm going to use terminology that I, I stay away from because I'm not sure. I'd, somebody's idea of a gray may not be somebody else's idea of a gray. And if I throw it out there, there's all these pictures of grays all over. It's kind of hard to say, well, that's the same thing that I'm refer- referencing. If I'm going to, let me break this down. The, the beans that I saw that I would say resemble a gray didn't have the soft contour to the face. It was kind of fatter and rounder at the head. And when it came down along the jawline, it, it cut in much more narrow than you see. And it, and the head was bigger. It wasn't like a, you know, a, a cute-looking thing. It was kind of odd. And that's why I really thought that it was a some type of a headgear. And, um, but they're taller. Now... What we saw in 69 was wearing almost a bone-white attire, if you will. We also believe, because they touch their chest a lot, that there's something in their pattern that you can't see. It's just an assumption. It's just what my brother and I believe and have over the years say, yeah, I think that makes sense. Because a lot of the time they, they raise their right hand very slowly and they kind of put it on their chest and, and things happen. And... Um, whether it's coming from them or someone else, I don't know. But but um, it does look like there's something embedded. The uh, bone white was in 69, and we saw them in 67 and 66. They were wearing almost a bluish silver looking. Now, the 69 is on a bigger craft, which would indicate to me that they probably were higher up or just different, and they were also rougher. Um there wasn't that soft, calm, it's going to be okay, um, you know, don't worry about it kind of thing, and, and and that soft moving like you're underwater type of thing. You weren't put in this kind of a 
state. But then again, I look back and I say, well, the first one was more or less an indoctrination. Maybe they knew that they were going to, you know, maybe there's some experience made there that I didn't, wasn't aware of, and because I was going to come back, um, you know, it wasn't going to be so uh, um, traumatizing or trying or difficult for me, uh, being that the first time wasn't something that scared me or, or put me at, uh, or had me feel, um, you know, that uh, I wasn't, it was something terrible was going to happen. So um, I guess that's the best way to describe it, that um, they were wearing different colors, although they looked relatively close to the same. They acted different, um, and they're strong. Um, when I let, grabbed my left arm and taken down that hallway in 69, um, that was no joke. I mean, I was grabbed very hard, and they walked in front of me and almost pulled me, where in 66 and 67, they didn't do that. They almost walked behind me a little bit, there was this calm feeling. There was an individual in front of me that kind of, you know, you knew you were to walk. And they don't come and walk out to you. They, if you're going to go in a, a wall, uh, you know, to, um, you know, come out of a room, you're going, there's a wall in front of you, and you got to go left or right, and you see an individual, they'll take a step or two towards you, and then they stop. And for some reason, you know to walk to them. And if you don't, then you're corralled and taken in, like, a group. And um, so basically, I hope that answers the question. Yeah, and I, I just want to say that uh, something that you said really kind of uh, hit home with me. Uh, I was a part of a uh, abduction research team that was called uh, SOAR. It stood for Southern Ohio Alien Abduction Research, and we didn't just deal with Southern Ohio cases. Uh, but there were several abductees who we, we considered high cases, and they had talked about greys that had abducted them rubbing their stomach. And when you said that the ones that you've seen were touching their chest, that kind of triggered something. Uh, I, I have several stories uh, of the abductees saying that one of them in particular said that uh, he had tripped while being escorted away from a campground because he was abducted during a camp camping trip. Uh, and he had tripped, and he said that somehow or another he was stopped and he thinks that he was somehow floating or levitating and then put back on his feet. And he said that off to his side, one of the greys was rubbing its stomach. And in another case, um, there was a touching of the stomach, and it, it had some kind of effect. And that just really triggered that, and I just wanted to bring that out there. So uh, yeah. it's little things like that. Yeah, right. yeah it's, it's little that, things like that that has is. to... That we have to pay attention yeah, to. Go ahead. I think is when we when we walk and, and that sort of thing, um, we went back to our rooms, and my younger brother was wearing one of those. Um, it's a long time ago, but you know those all-in-ones the kids used to have with the little footy things in it. You know, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Footy pajamas. <laughs> and um, yeah, that's what he was in, and I was barefoot. And I don't remember ever having my feet hurt when I walked or stepping on a rock. And um, he doesn't remember, or my mother doesn't remember ever having the bottom of it look dirty, you know. So I don't really believe that when we're walking, we're actually stepping on the ground. And like like he said, I think that when they, they put their hand up, they can do something to generate this low-frequency magnetic field. And low-frequency magnetic fields also can slow down your brain pattern. You know, when you your brain pattern will slow due to a electromagnetic field, you can actually move your, slow your brain, um, I guess it's 14 um, seconds a second, you can actually, when you meditate, it goes down to 8, when you sleep, it's down to 4. 
So if you if by using electromagnetic low frequency electromagnetic fields, first of all that would explain why those magnetic fields on the vehicle we were in, and it would also explain why maybe you can stay a little off the ground and at the same time have a have a calmer state about you. So it would answer all three of those things. But that's just something I'm we're working on. Yeah, well, it would explain a lot if uh, they don't actually touch the ground themselves. Uh, that would definitely indicate less evidence of them being physically in a room. Uh, but uh, I have another question here. They, they're, uh, one of the questions is language, question mark, and they say, do they telepathically speak? Do they make sounds? And were there sounds coming from their ships? There was a tapping sound. It sounded like that. If you've had an MRI machine, that's what it sounded like. It was like a like a low tapping, but a thud tapping, like a sound like that was the only sound I heard. Hmm, that's interesting. Yeah. And what was the other? Oh, if the aliens spoke a language, or if it was telepathic, or if you knew. Okay. Um. That's really describe that. Um, well, it's almost as if um, they can understand, at least with me now, not, and I do hear a lot of people saying different things, so this is going to conflict with a lot of people out there. But um, no, I don't believe that we could really understand a thing from them. They showed us images. Um, there were uh, engaging moments, I could, I guess you could word it, where you're intrigued and, and there's a reason that you're, you seem to be like locked on them. It's a, it, um, absorbing. You, know, you, you kind of like, you think you're going to look at someone for a moment or two and next thing you know you're staring at them for several minutes. I There's no doubt in my mind or my brothers or grandmothers or what have you that they had any problem understanding what we felt or what, you know, what was going on with us. But we, in turn, really did not know or have a clue what they were trying to relay to me or anyone else in our family. When they showed these images, and I'm sitting there staring at this willow tree, I'm sure there was something very significant there. The, the willow tree became very symbolic to me because that's what I, that's what I took from it. But all these years, every time I, I drive by a willow tree, it reminds me it triggers the event and it's, it's sometimes it's difficult, sometimes it's not. I'm getting over it, but for a long time it was it was uh, very you know troublesome. But with that said, they had to show images to us. So if they could telepathically talk to us, then why was all that necessary? So for us, maybe who knows? But the only um, thing I can tell you aside from that is that there are. Um, you know, moments of of, in, of uh, maybe like a, God, it's hard to describe. Um, you know, like snapshots that you see in your head. Maybe you, you kind of get a feeling for um, like a picture. You know, I guess if it was telepathic, you know, you have the Zeta cards, and you know, which one's a zero, which one's a square, which one's water. And you kind of get a an idea of maybe a like a card like that in your head, like a quick image of something. But that image doesn't always make any sense. 
It's not like you know it. It's not like they're telling me they're going here or they came from there. They don't speak English. I don't care who tells you they speak English. They don't speak English. Um, but there's images and, and thoughts sometimes, but it's very hard to make it out. And maybe some people can make it out better. Again, we were very young back then. So maybe someone else can, you know, make sense of it. But um, for us, no, we, we could not communicate that way. Although when I was scared for my brother, I couldn't find my brother. I thought something was happening to him. I was all alone in 67, which we'll get to. I was totally out of control. I was trying to run away. Um, and they brought my they brought my brother to me, and I calmed down. And the next thing, we were all okay again. And and um, so I can break that calm too. If you're too wound up, you can break the calm. Or I was so wound up they weren't able to get me in a situation where they could um, somehow um, get that um, calmness to around me to to bring me to a controllable point. So. Again, I hope that answers the question. No, yeah, you're doing really good, really good. Uh, Jackal, do you have any questions? I know Actually, there's a yeah, lot. I have a question uh, from the chat room here. Uh, they want to know, uh, if you noticed at any time uh, with these abductions, have you noticed any distinguish, uh, distinguishing odors or smells coming from the beings, uh, anything revolting about them perhaps, about the way they smelled, or, or did they not smell like anything? No, I, I've heard that too, that... Um, a lot of people have said that they uh, they stink terribly. Um, I've got a pretty good nose, and um, I think you know from what we remember, the uh, no everything smelled uh, everything was crisp. I mean, except that holding area was musty um, for whatever reason, but uh, and humid. But every other area was very cool, like maybe um, 66 degrees with a like a crisp air to it, and um, very healthy, you know, crisp air, no odors, no anything. And um, so, no, they're nothing like that. It was uh, very sterile. It was um, um, almost, uh, you know, very uh, very medical-like, hospital-like, and clean. That's actually uh, what I've heard before as well, that uh, there is almost a medical um, feel like if you're in a, like you're in a medical field to the abductions, you feel like you're almost in a hospital setting at a medical facility somewhere. Uh, yeah, that, that's interesting. Do they seem? Go ahead. I'm sorry. I think I was just going to say. I think maybe part of that too is because everything's white. You know, the walls are white, the doors are white, um, the tables are silver. I mean, it, even if it wasn't what it what it appears to be, you know, they say you are what you appear to be, but right. You know, maybe that's just their. Because when we go to the hospital, you know, the sheets are white, the beds are white, the walls are white, so maybe that's where the reference comes from. But it did have that sterile type of a environment. But I was just trying to give, throw it out there that maybe you hear that a lot because maybe it does kind of reference a, reference a hospital or what we see as a hospital. Now, did they seem workmanlike, like the emotionless almost? Like if you were in panic, did they try to calm you down in, in any way, shape, or form, or they were just very workmanlike? Well, um, I tell you what, why don't I tell you what happened in 67, and then I'll kind of answer that for you. Okay. Um, in, 60, in 67, um, and I'm going to skip a lot of the beginning here because, again, we're already ripping through time here. But um, in short, my uh, it, was a, it was a lot of flashes of light. Um, 
my mother had uh, come into our room. I used to go to bed early because I had to walk a mile to the school bus, so my brother and I went to bed relatively the same time. And again, there was this uh, this feel and then this vibe that we felt in our room. He was on the top bunk, I'm on the bottom, and there was a, uh, um, like what we referenced, it's like a three-moon feeling. You know, I think I mentioned that before when I was on the show, when I'm, that it's almost like a full moon you can go out at night, you know, later, but it was so strong, even today, you wouldn't be able to go to sleep on it. You just got this wound up little energy, and you don't know why. And um, so we were talking, it was late, we just didn't go to sleep, and and um, these flashes of light were out our, our second-story window. We had a brook, and we used to keep the window open because we didn't have air conditioning, but my mother had come and shut it because she thought it was going to rain. But she made a comment that uh, I don't think it's going to, you know, uh, I think it's going to pass because I don't hear any thunder, which is why I named my horse Thunder and whatever. But anyway, right. um, this uh, light that looked like maybe uh, the size of a coffee can um, was in the background, and, and it just looked like it was hanging there. It could have been what people we've referenced as, a, as like a orb of some sort. Uh, maybe it could have been anything. I don't really remember it, but except that I remember seeing it look like a basketball of light. And um could have been flat, could have been round, I don't know. But anyway, um, I was kind of fixated on it. I saw it and trying to focus on it, and my, my younger brother saw it, and it just fired in, into this uh, room I was in and engulfed it like a, like a, my brother said, like a flash from a camera. And what I remember was almost like rolling in um, like an ocean wave for a moment, and I was gone. My brother actually was talking to an empty bed at that point. And so... And he also remembers the rattling of hinges in the room just when it happened and a few other things. But so he he comes down, runs off the uh, the bunk bed and runs into my mother's room, which my grandmother was staying with with my mother for a few. And we had a relative in from, from New York who took one of the other rooms, so they doubled up. And um, he couldn't wake my mother. He couldn't wake my grandmother. And he was yelling, you know, Tom's gone, Tom's gone, Tom's gone. And um, he got so scared, he tried to crawl in my mother's bed. He was trying to kick her off, you know, the, the floor to to wake up, and that's when he saw this particular creature that we talked about, or, or insect-like being, that had uh, entered the room behind a couple of what we also reference as a form of a gray, like a, like a half-gray, half-human, if that's a good way to word it, um, that, that were actually standing in the doorway of her home, in that bedroom. And um, they turned and left, but that insect-looking thing sat at the bottom of my grandmother's bed and, and, and kind of rose up and then turned robotically. My brother says it was like a like a camera that looked, you know, at, uh, at the mall. You know, you got those pan-tilt cameras that just, you know, they kind of they go right by you, whether or not they see you or not. They just kind of, you can be right in front of it, and, it, and that's how it was. It didn't, like, slow down and look at you or pause or go up or down or see it, have an interest in you. It just, like, panned and turned and left the room. Once it left, my brother, again, jumped in my mother's bed and was trying to wake her. And um, this was probably about three or four minutes later. And um, finally she came out of it. Um, she sat up. She was trying to figure out what was going on. My brother was talking crazy, you know, according to her, you know, slow down. And my grandmother kind of came out of it. And she kept saying, you know, Tom's gone, Tom's gone. So she went thinking maybe I went downstairs. You know, she didn't know. And as soon as she got outside into the um, hallway, this was on the second floor now, we had a huge staircase. It was a big house. 
And um, as soon as she got to the staircase, what they heard the sound of doors slamming, and the next thing my mother tells in, in this journal we have is that Matthew was gone. So now she's really freaking out. She runs downstairs. She jumps on her horse. Um, my grandmother turns on all these floodlights we had around the, the stables and around the house. It wasn't that many, but we had a few back then. We had a phone outside. And um, so she uh, starts looking around the property for, for Matthew and I. I'm actually at this craft in the same position, the same doorway that I was at this top part of this donut with the same figure to my left and with the looking towards where those projections were shown to me, but there was nothing being shown now. It was just like a very empty room but still had the two at the tables and the one next to me. I did notice up top it almost looked like this wall thing to my left that um, if there were two question mark hallways, which would almost make sense because it would bring bring it back to the entrance area. In between that, up about six feet or so, it almost looked like a uranium of some sort, like it was glassed in up there. I do remember that. And I did remember seeing a spacesuit of some sort, but it looked like a human spacesuit, but that I didn't see before. And um, so then Matthew joined me. And Matthew had joined me because I was like losing my cool. I wasn't... Uh, cooperating, like, where's my brother, you know, like, he was at the house, you know, we're separated, and and um, I was a little high-strung, and um, and scared by myself, and, and um, so we believe that they brought my brother to me to calm me down. Now, maybe that's happened, maybe they, they actually have feelings, or maybe it was just he was going to come anyway, but once we got together... You know, we we were much better and much um, more cooperative. You know, and and from then on, we were kind of together. And so, a lot of people have asked me, you know, did they have feelings? Um, I, I really do think that they brought him because I knew that it would calm me down. I could be dead wrong. I've been wrong before, um, but uh, and I'm not one to speculate. But that's what my gut told me was that. That's why I did that, and then uh, and we weren't separated after that, and um, so anyway, we we were returned uh, to the my grandmother was on the front uh, the uh, screen floor which had like uh, this front area to it, and uh, with the little screen door that went outside, she was sitting out there. It was probably like three o'clock in the morning now, and um, my mother was still running around on the on the horse and and. Um, I'd just about come back to the house, and there there were a, a large driveway. You could fit probably 15 or 20 cars in this driveway. And this hill that we used to drive the, the cars up, if you wanted to go to the top of the hill where we were, um, separated from the driveway. It was like a separate little driveway that went off our driveway. That's where I ended up appearing, for lack of a better word. And my brother was pretty much in front of the screen porch. And according to my grandmother, it was just like all of a sudden we were there. She doesn't know how we got there. We certainly didn't walk there. Um, maybe we did and don't know it, but we were just bang, we're like back in, in front of the screen porch. My mother at that point did see us, jumped off the horse, came running over to us, grabbed us. She said that we were placid. We weren't really responding. Um, her note state that we were just kind of like not talking. My brother and I were like staring at each other, and she throws us at the... Uh, kitchen table, she puts cloths on our face and covers us with blankets, she gave us baby aspirin, a glass of orange juice, 
uh, water, and she had a fire. It was September, so she threw a fire in the uh, living room, fired that up, and I slept on one of the sofas, and my brother slept on one of the others. And um, and she stayed up with us all night long. And for a while there, um, she was trying to get us to bed, and, and we just, for whatever reason, wouldn't leave the kitchen table. Remember that? And... Um, and the grandmother, you know, our grandmother Mary sat with us for a while, and, and um, the next morning, I guess we were okay. It didn't, um, so whatever happened after they got us back on the craft, I don't, uh, I don't really recall much after him them bringing my brother to me, so something I do believe took place there. Um, and we, my brother and I also believe that they're extracting hormones, um, but that's something we can talk about when we get to it, but. We have a feeling that may have been part of it. Do you think you're maybe part of a, like a hybridization program or something like that? I think that um, whatever it is that that they need, I don't think this is about us at all. Hmm. I, I think that they uh, they need something, and um, I also think they're mining. They're doing different things here, and and. Um, you know, there's awful, we have an awful lot of animals and stuff here, too, that just kind of yep. appear out of nowhere, and there have to be two of them where they can't breed, so I don't know if they're bringing things here, bringing things back, or what have you, but I, I do think they're here for basically their own reason, but I don't really think they want to hurt anyone either, but but um, there's certainly no big message that I've, I've got other than, we, you know, we felt like there were times where we were made to feel important, or like we were... Um, you know, uh, an answer, or you know, that, um, and this could have just been to help us cooperate too. I mean, I it could be basically filling us up with a bunch of crap, but we do feel that something was extracted from us. My brother had two puncture holes over the gland that um, produces the uh, the immune system. It's okay. just off center of the same gland that produces your uh, thyroid. And that same gland runs up the back of your neck, and there's like a a gland about the size of a pea that goes behind your left ear. And he had two same puncture marks right there. He's got a doctor's report on it and everything. And we've got pictures of it. And it wasn't until recently, actually, that we we thought, well, you know, I wonder what's under that. And sure enough, those are the two spots of the body that one produces the gland and the other one distributes it. So how rare, how odd is that? And he still has those puncture marks today. Huh. Yep, we both have the scoop mark thing. Uh, even my my son has a scoop mark on his left arm. I've got mine on my right. Has any of you guys my been mother, checked for uh, implants or for deep implants somewhere in your body, other than the scoop marks? Well, to be quite honest with you, I wouldn't even know where to go to check for that. Um, a lot of people have asked us that. I mean, it probably wouldn't be a bad idea, but um, I mean, there's so many of us that even if one of us still had it. Um, there you go. But no, we haven't. I wouldn't know who to ask to check. I mean, would I? I would feel, you know, kind of. I don't know if, I, if I, just a regular MRI would find it if you had your whole body gone through an MRI. But but um, if there was somewhere we could go and <laughs> somebody specialized in it, sure, I'd go. But yeah, it's funny because I know Mufon um, has for many years helped uh, many many abductees have this procedure done and i'm surprised that they haven't 
you know, even brought it up before since you've worked directly with MUFON in the past. Uh, there's, there's a lot of folks who have had, uh, implants, uh, removed from them. Uh, there's one doctor in particular, uh, whose name escapes me now, um, could be Dr. Lear. I'm not sure if it's Dr. Lear, but it's, uh, there, there's a very well known doctor who does remove alien implants. Okay. Well, I, if I could reach him, I'd certainly reach out to him and nothing else, just see what you find, but. But the, uh, the thing with MUFON, too, MUFON actually wasn't, in, in the early 80s, the, uh, the investigator, um, attorney Robert Blackman was, mm. um, very much into aerospace. He was working with, uh, you know, he wrote, was working, uh, more or less in the, uh, you know, that would be Star Wars type of thing. He was more right. on that end of it. And he, um, and he, and he worked with MUFON. He wasn't really, uh, you know, like a field investigator in MUFON. He was an attorney who was kind of helping MUFON get some additional information by his ties in the aerospace group, and he's the one who mentioned our case at the United Nations. Um, he, he really is the one that investigated our, our 54, 66, 67, 69 case, and his law firm was actually um, right down the street from my home. But but um, what happened when... Um, in, in, in 2009, that was actually investigated by the, the STAR team, which was set up by uh, Chase at the time, and, um, and that was a group that was backed by Bass Aerospace. So as far as just regular field investigators from MUFON, I mean, everyone that's really been involved in our case with ties to MUFON have either been attorneys, uh, STAR team members, or, or um, those at that level, um, and, you know, assistant state directors and that, that sort of thing. And, hmm. you know, they did spend an awful lot of time with us back in, in the 80s, too. Uh, Robert Blechton, um I investigated their case for almost two years back then. And um, I'd say Steve White, Officer Steve White, um, he couldn't believe he passed a polygraph test, so he stuck with us for a while. Then he oversaw the investigations that were being performed by the Star King crew. And Debbie Cobble, with the book um, Intruders was written about, she brought her camcorder down and investigated the... Uh, um, site alongside the star team members and she had her uh, digital camcorder and she recorded the compass you know spinning for two and a half feet away and recorded right. some of the uh, goings on which I actually have so it, it had a lot wide range of um, people looking at this I mean it was uh, we had people in Indiana we had people in Florida uh, Mary Zimmer out of Miami I don't know if you know that name she yes. actually worked with me a little bit in Florida mm-hmm. and um yeah, you know her? Okay. Nice yeah, lady. I know she is. In fact, and, I just uh, got confirmed here, it is Dr. Roger Lear who uh, has uh, been working with uh, the implants uh, phenomenon for, for a long time. And I really uh, suggest you look into that, especially, you know, for the younger ones in the family who are, are having these experiences as well. Uh, that might be a way why, how they track you folks. I mean, it, implants uh, have been found on many people, and uh, they've been extracted and a lot of the implants have shown to be of, you know, of really strange material that nobody can explain how they got into this person's body. Uh, so my suggestion, yeah, try to look up Dr. Roger Lear if you have a chance. Yep. Yeah, and if I may jump in, uh, Dr. Dr. Lear actually documents uh, the, all of this. He documents oh, yeah. the surgery, uh, what happens afterwards, and, yeah, there have been some strange implants. Uh, one of the first ones that caught my attention, he actually pulled out an implant that when he pulled it out, it dissolved itself as right. if it was yeah. like liquid or acid. 
And then some of the other ones uh, that have went under analysis, uh, they don't know what they are. And uh, th- there's some strange stuff there. <laughs> yeah, it wouldn't have to be anything more than a little piece of carbon or, or crystal when they could uh, solve right. it need to be, really. Yeah, that's I mean, all. I, and I in fact, it's funny you bring up crystal. It's funny you bring up the, the term crystal because uh, scientists are now talking about putting data on crystals, uh, sort sort of like in the movie Superman. You know, Superman how he uses the crystals for the information of Krypton in the Fortress of Solitude. Well, that technology is actually not far fetched and it's not that far off. Crystals make a great source uh, for data encoding. In fact, it's probably going to eventually replace hard drives to encode data. That's, uh, the, that's the future of that's the future of science. So crystals. Uh, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I mean, look at windshields. In the future cars, you're going to be, everything is going to be displayed right in your windshield of your car. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, yeah, it is. you can do that with just normal glass. I mean, that's not even a spheric, uh, um, what do they call it, a spheric glass, which is like a high-polished glass. So, right. Um, anyway, yeah, I would I would uh, definitely take a look at that. So, uh, you want to take some more questions, or does anyone have anything um well, we, we do have a couple more questions from the, from the chat room. Uh, one question that uh, they asked a little while ago, um, and we, we didn't get to it, unfortunately, uh, for a couple of minutes here. Uh, they wanted to know if you saw at any point, any, any one of your abductions, if you saw any deceased people on, on board of the craft, like any dead people on board of the craft, if you at all had any encounters uh, like that, they kind of scared you because you saw somebody dead in one of the rooms or something like that. no. No, I heard voices in '69. I I stopped because I was hoping one was might be my my mother or something that I that I heard. But uh, no, I've never seen anything like that. No. That'd be that'd be amazingly I, creepy. That would make the whole experience a lot creepier, wouldn't it? If you start seeing like dead people on on board of, of some of these crafts, you know, that was yeah, one of the things yeah. that, that I took. Go ahead. No, I was just saying. Yeah, that would you know then that would really. Uh, you know, paint a picture as to what, what's going on. And that's what right now, you know, what we saw, nothing was really that barbaric or anything. It was just, uh, you know, very, uh, you know, uh, like I said before, very, very hospital-like and very structured. And, and, and um, you know, first, first, first time we went, it was almost like a, uh, like a pediatric dental, you know, you know, when you bring your son, you get a, pe- a pediatric dental checkup, you know, they're really nice. Yes. Oh, come on in here, you know, that kind of thing. And then it yes. changed, obviously. But yeah, that's why we called it an indoctrination. It was kind of like, um, kind of where we, where we got the reference, I guess. Thomas, any chance in the future here that we might see a movie out of your life story? Because, I mean, the Travis story is amazing in itself, but your story is multi-generational. You can make an entire miniseries uh, of movies or a miniseries on TV of your story. Any chance that might happen in the near future? Well, I got a call from um, Louis Morneau, who uh, is a director at the Bats with Lou Diamond Phillips and Retroactive for James Bellucci. I've okay. talked to him on a couple of occasions. He's, he's overseas doing some werewolf film. Um, but uh, aside from that, um, I am speaking with Discovery Channel. You know, they were talking about doing something, and and uh, and Spike too. But um, these would just be little television, you know, uh, two-hour specials or something. But I, I think what what really um, interests me is, is I really want to get my book out. I um, I am struggling with it because it's I have so much detail and 
uh, time frames and, and particulars. I don't want this to read like a novel. I'm not going to write a novel. It's going to be more of a memoir. And um, it's very difficult to to capture everything. My my mother wants to put in her opinion on things and what she saw. My brother wants to have his part in here and and ex-wife and and even my son wants to have a you know a little something that he can discuss his uh, um, feelings on things and what he's experienced. So it's going to be very difficult to write something first person, you know, according to right. so-and-so, this happened, according to so-and-so, that happened, and it's not going to flow. Uh, we're talking about um, take 67 that we just went over. My brother wants to write a lot about what he saw and because and, he was at a different place than I was at the same time. My mother, you know, she remembers getting up and riding a horse and what she experienced and, and how she felt, and and so there you go. I mean, it's it's very difficult, and I'm trying to do the best I can for him. So, so we're at a, we're at a stall right now. But um, you know, the book is going to be called Willow Lake for a reason, and um, we do have the book cover, and um, we have started it. But I think that's certainly going to paint a picture better than any movie would. But I, now I did when I did speak to Lewis um, again, that director. He was he was uh, adamant that this was much too long to be an hour and a half film. So I was going to have to, uh, you know, condense an awful lot. And, right. um, so uh, who knows? But, um, I mean, it'd be great. You know, maybe uh, Brad Pitt could play me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's that's funny you say that. It, you know, you know, that's great. That's funny you say that because uh, they are, there's actually a friend of mine, Franklin D. Wales, who's an author of a, of a book called Deadheads, which is a zombie novel, and he's writing a follow-up called mm-hmm. Deadheads Evolution. And in the book, he has a character who's a radio show host, and uh, you know, me and him have been friends for a little bit. He did my show as a guest, and he asked me if he could name the character after me. And uh, you know, I jokingly mm-hmm. said in return, I was like, "Well, only if you get Brad Pitt to pay, play me in the movie." So we share that connection, <laughs> you and I. <laughs> yeah, there you go. He could play either one of us, yeah. though, Brad Pitt. He could play either one of us. Yeah, there you uh, go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yo, I'll tell you what. While he's playing your all's part, I will entertain his wife. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> so we Not all a bad win. Idea. The wind went all the way around. There you go. Not yeah. a bad idea. Thomas, you know, before we, we let you go here, because we only have about ten minutes left on the show, I do want to get to one part of your story, uh, which, of course, it was very uh, intriguing that you talked about earlier, that uh, there are young ones now having these experiences. Um, you know, who is the youngest child in the family who have had a, has a, had an experience in the last uh, few years? Well, um, let me uh, jump to 2009. I'll, I'll tell you what happened there. Um, my brother has had two children. I have one. Um, my son actually um, has the strongest um, remote viewing uh, abilities and things that you've heard about, I'm sure. I think I mentioned that last time. Um, every time our, one of our children have reached the age of six or seven, there has been um, something, um, an anomaly, let's say, that just doesn't make sense. Um, um, you know, see something ahead of time, it happens two weeks later, that kind of thing. I'm not going to say they're going to be an Oprah tomorrow, but I mean, it's, it's there, you know. And um, my brother's youngest was turning uh, six years old when this happened um, in 2009, March 2009, where they had the star team come down because they were already there because it was an incident 40 miles down the road. This 
craft was caught on radar. There were witnesses. There was a lady in a U-Haul truck who saw something. They posted pictures of this thing on YouTube. And that's when the star team came down and the police came down and they caught the radar at the magnetic fields and there were droplets of blood from my brother's nose onto the steering wheel and the, the, the puncture marks in his chest. And, and um, that happened when his son, Wyatt, was uh, six years old. Now, it also happened, had something happened to me at the same time, and when Christopher, my son, who goes by chance, um, what happened with him, he started having these things happen when he was starting school. And then you look at um, my brother and I, I was, uh, I was almost seven, and he was about five. So it seems to happen to children, maybe not, you know, not just us. I'm referencing, you know, it just seems that this is something that starts with young children. And um, whether it's because they're healthier or they're maybe more controlled at that time or more open-minded or uh, easier to, you know, to relate to, I don't know. But no, but it, it, may, it makes too, sense, um, though. It, it, you start young, it makes sense. Start young and you could uh, kind of have a case study that goes on for 30, 40 years of the life of a person. And you know, have a, a real you know study uh, throughout somebody's life. Uh, that, that's how studies are done in this country. You know, you start with somebody who's young, and you do a study for a few years. Makes perfect sense. Why not start young mm-hmm. when somebody's young? Listen, Tom, we do have right. a caller on the line two one five. You're on the air with Tom Reed on Skywatchers Radio. Welcome to the show. Um, hi, thanks for taking the call. I have a question for Mr. Reed. Um, you know, listening to this network, we hear a lot about <clears throat> aliens and alien abductees and, you know, so many different stories. You know, it's easy for us to talk so much about specifics. But, you know, for like a newer listener or someone who's not been exposed to this as much, I mean, the fact that you are saying that, you know, there are, in fact, alien life forms and you've had encounters with them is, you know, at the same time fascinating and also outrageous and also maybe, you know, frightening or exciting. Yeah, you know, I was just wondering if you could step back from the specifics of the story for a second and just tell us, you know, I mean, is there like a, a message you take away from this? Like, what do you tell people after having this? Well, the only thing that we can make of it is that, um, you know, they're, uh, you know, we, we believe they're extracting uh, hormones and different uh, products that our body manufactures for their own use, and in turn, I believe that they're giving something back. And I think um, maybe it's accidental. Maybe maybe they're, I don't know what why they would give something back to us, but I can tell you that, to give you an example, um, you know, my son uh, was in 126% tile in school. He was in the superior classes by uh, first or second grade. He has a... Uh, a form of remote viewing that's been documented at the Miami Children's Hospital. It's been documented in the Palm Beach School Board. It's been documented by doctors here in, in Tennessee. And um, and I will say, once those doctors went public, Michael Buckner um, wrote this letter, which is actually on my website. Um, and I also have the obituary for when he was killed eight weeks later. So someone didn't like that. And... Um, and I can tell you that my father, who was a, a politician, um, believed also that there was something uh, genetically being done. We only because it started with my mother and my grandmother. And um, he was going to be working with this Robert Blackman, who uh, attorney Robert Blackman, who was also in politics in, in Hartford, who took our case to the United Nations. A couple of uh, 
years after that, they uh, both got out of politics, basically, basically uh, still attorneys, but they were going to uh, write a book together about the possibilities of, um, you know, this whole genetic tie that we, our family has always felt was part of it. And um, they were both killed within a year and a half of each other. And, um, well, actually, with almost a year of each other. And um, he was a, there was a virus put in my father's... Uh, air conditioning unit that was found by the CDC and um, and the building that he was working in has since since been closed down and condemned and it's been closed down ever since. So he obviously knew more than I did and being that Robert Blackman was tied into the United Nations, had a lot of ties in New York City and, and certainly knew people that I don't, um, I think that they knew a lot more than I was ever going to be told. But, um, but the focus of, of what they wanted to or believed was the Oh, I think we lost uh Tom, Tom, I was gonna say, I think we did. Uh, I'm here. I think, I'm no, here. He's back. Oh, okay. Back. Okay. <laughs> okay, did it cut out? Yeah, you cut out for one yeah. second there. Did I cut out? Hello guys. Yeah, no, you cut out for one second, but you're back. Go ahead. I'm here? Okay. Yeah, you got you're me? there. He got you. Okay. What did, I, what did I leave off? Well, you're answering the the question and that you're talking about uh, since it's been a multi-generational uh, case study, uh, mm. basically, and that's when you just started right. cutting out there. Okay. Yeah, that uh, that's what our, our entire family believed from the very beginning, and um, only because of the uh, abilities that our children started to have once they started going to school. And, um, and so that has been the... Well, you know, absolutely what uh, has kind of been confirmed now with those puncture marks in, in my brother's chest right over the immune system. If you were going to come to this planet or you, know, you wanted to venture out, um, you would need to find some antibodies to protect yourself from viruses. So that kind of sealed it for us. But um, and, uh, and 2000, Do I have time to talk about um, 69 real quick? Is Go for five it. Minutes? Go for it. we got a couple more minutes. Okay. All right. In 1969 was something else that um, was more of an examination. It was the only one that we really remembered. The uh, car came to a stop. The four of us were in a station wagon. There was a huge crap that looked like a flying strip mall that was uh, known to stop the back for a station wagon. Came to a stop off to the right of the road. Um, it was very silent. We could hear stones hitting the car. We uh, sat there for a moment. And then we felt that uh, pressure again, the change in pressure, which was uh, it caused like an eruption of crickets around the vehicle. And um, momentarily, um, I'd say within seconds, uh, I was in this large holding area, which was again I mentioned that earlier. And there was a wall behind me, was the carts to the right, right of me, a huge open bay area, and there was an opening straight across the way. This figure came out a few steps. Again, you know to go to him. Um, he doesn't actually come and, and get you and walk back. He just kind of stands there, and, and you, you're the only person there aside of him, so you, there's this calm usually, and you, you follow this calm. And by the time I got to him, um, this is the one in the bone color white that I mentioned. I had a different personality, very more, more of a regimented, uh, militant type of feel to it. Like, you know, we were on a tight schedule type of thing. And we grabbed my left arm, and again, it's something to think about. They're always on my left. Every time I've gone somewhere, they've been on my left. Took me out this hallway, uh, which went to the right. I went down maybe uh, 
I don't know, 15, 20 feet. They came to a T, took this left, which I also mentioned earlier. But they took me into this room, which was off to the right. When I came into this room, which is where these two figures were that had this um, egg-shaped head and this teardrop body thing and these stick-like legs, there were two of them, and they were facing the wall. Um, as I came in, they were on my left side, and they were facing as if I passed them. There. And what's weird about this, they were in like a pocket. This cylinder-type room caused two pockets on either side, and they were kind of craned in this pocket and working on something in a wall, very close quarters. And I, I was standing next to this uh, silverish-white top table, and I was going to uh, you know, basically just stand there, but I was kind of whatever reason, I, I don't know why, but I slipped myself up on it. And it was very low. It was lower than a, a desk that you'd write on in school because when I backed up to it, it wasn't anything for me to slide up on it. And again, I was 10 years old, so it had to be low. And off to the right of this other pocket, there was a doorway that went out into this huge hallway that I also mentioned. So I'm sitting there, and there were these two figures at the, at the bottom of this table again. And this figure to the left, it had the... Uh, the egg-shaped head, I don't really know what to, for reference it or what to call it, had turned my way, and it was um, disturbing to me. I, I felt that something was going to, something bad was going to happen. This was totally different. And I have had moments where I've come out of this, this controlled, controlled uh, uh, calm, and um, sometimes it's like a godlike calm. You're just feeling wonderful, and other times you, get, you come right out of it, and I just jumped off this table. I ran down the right side of the cylinder and into this hallway where I heard those voices. It was so big I didn't know where to go, so I kind of slowed down to a stop. I mean, I not too far outside this opening. And I was immediately taken back in. And again, it was rough. I was taken back in, and I was put on this table. And immediately afterwards, um, this piece came out of the, the ceiling or what have you was like over me. I didn't I didn't really see it earlier, but all of a sudden it came over me and covered my body. It looked like the top of a tanning bed. It had holes in the side of it, about the maybe the size of an oval uh, frisbee. And it covered uh, my feet, my body up to my chest, but my head was sticking out of it. It had uh, almost like a rack type thing on the side of it, with the only part being like a tanning bed was probably about six inches to eight inches above my body, and the rest of it was an area that had um, holes in it. And so I sat there, or laid there, if you will, and uh, these round black rocks on these milky white pads um, came from the bottom of this uh, table I was on, and they put one on my leg, one on my side, one on my chest, and one on my face. And um, again, they were a little bit bigger than a marble. I used to I referenced them as rocks because I don't remember them being you know, rounder, like a sphere, almost like a, a, a weird shape. Um, they were rocky. Um, onyx. Yeah, like a black onyx rock. Right, right. And, um, yeah, and um, I, at that point, um, I, I went out. And I don't know how long I was out, but it had to be a lot longer than I realized. And then I was returned back into this room. When we all went back, we got back into the, the car, my mother was supposed to be driving. She was in the passenger seat. My grandmother was in the uh, middle of the road. My brother was in the back seat with me. His head was on my right knee. And I had gotten out to try to get my grandmother because she was the only one that was uh, was awake. And she was kind of walking left and right into the road. She's like four or five car lengths up from me. 
and not really going in any direction. There was a, a little store up ahead. Anyway, she got to the store before me, and I was going in after her, and she passed the clerk. And I came right. I actually, went, as soon as she went in the door, I was in right after her. She passed the clerk um, and walked right directly to the back of the store and went around inside to where these bikes and strollers were. And I was on the front side of these bikes. I was trying to get her to come with me, but she was kind of um, really out of it. And so I kept giving her my hand, you know, for her to take it and come with me, but she wouldn't. And um, so finally I got to a position I was a little closer to her to get her hand. And instead of taking my hand, she put both hands on the stroller. And she started uh, to wheel it back and forth, like really slowly, like there was an infant in it. And just kind of pushed it forward and pulled it back and pushed it forward and and looking at it like she was rocking the baby to sleep. And um, so I I kept putting my hand out, come on, we got to go. And she started to kind of come out of it a little bit and, and went back around where she had come in, took my hand, and we were going by the clerk again. She stopped. I wanted to see something to the clerk for some reason. I, was, I mean, she was bigger than me. She stopped. I had to stop. And But she never said anything. I don't remember any conversation. I just remember it was an odd, awkward time. And then she kind of looked at me and, and teared up a little bit, and um, we went out the, the door and started walking back to the car, and, and she kind of broke down. She started crying and, you know, like the shaking. She was still, even then, she was she was really shook up over it. And we got her back into the passenger seat. My mother was awake now, and she was driving, and the car was started. And um, and we and at that point, we went home, but it was dead silent. But what's interesting about that is that incident affected my grandmother more so than anyone else in the family. And it was so hard on my family that they actually sold a 75-acre horse farm just to get out of town, and they moved to a neighboring city. And that's really the end of it for us, except for the abilities that our children have had in school, which is well-documented in school records and by private testing, which is you know not just hearsay. I mean, that's in black and white. And it didn't happen again until 2009 when our youngest turned six again. So that are, those are the patterns that we found. If there's a pattern, that's what we're seeing. And um, I just thought that was important because it's, um, it's really the last incident until 2009. A long time ago. Yeah. No, it definitely uh, has something to do with our children. It's a, it's an amazing story, like I said, an amazing case. Uh, Brian, you know, we were really uh, over time here, but uh, I really would like to have this gentleman back on. Thomas, we have to have you back on in the near future here on Skywatchers Radio because uh, we could continue talking here for another two hours easily. Uh, you know, one thing that fascinates me about your story is the fact that it is multi-generational, and uh, if anything else happens in the near future, uh, are you better prepared now for, you know, for an encounter? I mean, are, have you taken any uh, measures uh, to, you know, make sure that, you know, you can try to avoid it? Or is there any video cameras being uh, set up anywhere in your home to try to capture anything? Are you doing anything like that? Uh, you know, I wanted to ask that before we let you go. Oh, yeah. Matter of fact, I've got uh, I've got a, uh, a digital recorder with uh, four um, little dome high-res cameras in the house. I've got okay. actually... Uh, one that looks out the front of my house, I've got one that looks out the back, and I've got one in the basement and one on the first floor. So um, a lot of times I don't use it, but there have been some strange little things. But, you know, we're not one to over-speculate. You know, we have had people around here with cameras, and I live uh, next to a nuclear power plant, so there's a lot of government cars all the time. So 
you know, I don't want it to be, uh, you know, overly, you know, overly concerned. But I, I, I do have a, a pit bull now, and um, so, uh, and a pistol permit. So, <laughs> I, uh, yeah. It's a, it's a good idea to it's a good idea to try to videotape anything that might happen. Uh, that and, and again, Doctor Lear, look him up, please. Definitely look Doctor Roger Lear up. Um, I'd love to see if I can maybe get you guys in contact with each other and have him take a look at your case mm-hmm. and and see if you do have any implants. Because again, uh, that could be the smoking gun to to everything. If you could actually have implants removed, um, that could pretty much uh, give even more validity to your to your entire case. Okay, well, if you want to give me a buzz sometime when when you're off the air, I'd like to know what what sites you went on where it shows that Betty and Barney Hill were above me because they didn't have the evidence we did. <laughs> but I just want to. Um, well, I think that the reason <laughs> Betty and Barney Hill's it's cases, I think the reason Betty and Barney Hill's cases is, is looked as with you know with such uh, amazement is because of the star map that she drew and NASA confirmed a decade later. Uh, that's why that case is so popular right. within ufology because that's the only case where NASA has said, okay, yeah, you know what, she's right. They, you know, they they actually, you know, have something that uh, we we can verify uh, scientifically. NASA kind of uh, admitted that the star map is real. You know, that it does exist. That constellation does exist, mm-hmm. and that didn't happen until a decade right. after the Betty and Barney Hill case. Uh, but other than that, I mean, right. that's really the, the that's the biggest thing of the Betty and Barney Hill story is that star map. Um, you know, you don't have a star map, but if you have an that implant, kind of joking. That'll be yeah. kind of that'll be as good, I think. Well, so is the radiation and the magnetic fields in the radar, right? So right, exactly. Um, but uh, let me ask you this: um, where, where, what site was that on? I'd just like to go take a look at that. Uh, well, actually, that that was uh, Thomas. That was me that had that up, and I'm trying to look for it right now. I was afraid you're going to bring it up. Uh, <laughs> the unexplained-mysteries.com was the site that uh, claimed that you had the reptilian encounter. Mm. And for whatever reason, my backspace is not working on my computer. I had several links here to you. I'll try to get it to you. But uh, I don't think that they were listing – well, I, I don't think they were listing uh, the top three based on evidence. I think it was based on just just overall uh, a close encounter for experience. And it was I think it was just based on um, uh, whoever was doing this list. Uh, but it, it looked like it was uh, – it was MUFON uh, approved from what I from what I was getting at it. Was it unexplained something or other? All right, well you've got my email. I was just I was just curious. I'm I'm always curious to see who, you know, who's interested or who's uh, getting the message because I think what's, you know, obviously I don't I know you got to go, but what separates this case from so many others is the amount of evidence that it has, and and this is why I certainly don't mind going on the radio because the more I think the more people are aware of what this case has to offer and the more value that it has mm-hmm. i think at this point you know you know we maybe can start to uh you know get some actual facts out there so rather than uh, speculation and so on so i really appreciate it guys and anytime you want me back on you just give me a ring and i'll be there definitely definitely have to have you back on again thank you so much for being here on Skywatchers radio with us you got it thank you guys Mm-hmm, and we'll, we'd love to have you again some other time. Uh, you have a wonderful, uh, night or morning wherever you're at, uh, Mr. Reed. <laughs> <laughs> Take care. Yeah, I'm going to go to bed with you. <laughs> there you go. Good night, guys. Bye-bye. So are the rest of us. Guys, uh, we're going to be live again next, uh, Wednesday at 11 o'clock here on PSN Radio. 
Uh, please bookmark that on your calendars. Next week, Skywatchers Radio will be back. And, Brian, you'll be back next week, of course. Uh, I'm not going to be mm-hmm. on next week. You'll be on either with Rick or Dennis next week. Oh, all righty. Well, either one is great by me. And, uh, there you go. Everyone, uh, thank you for tuning in to Skywatchers Radio here on the psn-radio.com network. That's right. Goodbye, everybody. Have a wonderful night. Do it.